everybody. Welcome to episode one of Vintage Media Grading, the podcast. I'm Andrew Hoffman, and I have here with me three vinyl enthusiasts, experts, and the three founders of VMG, uh, Chad Brayman, Paul Brayman, and Butch Harwood. Uh, hello, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Doing great. Hey, How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, things are starting to cool down here in Maryland, so uh, getting ready for fall. Not ready for the summer to end yet, though, so just preparing myself, embracing. Um, cool. So we're really excited to get this podcast launched. Um, this episode today is going to be about the basics of vinyl record collecting um, and grading, and so we are just kind of going to go over the, the the topic of grading vinyl records and share some of our experience with grading and encapsulating the records as well. Um, just to kind of go over who VMG is and what we do. Um, VMG is a vinyl record grading and encapsulation company. Uh, we go beyond just grading and encapsulating vinyl records, though. We have supportive services that are actually helpful for any collector that's out there. You don't have to be someone who wants to have your records encapsulated. Um, these are these services include ultrasonic cleaning of your vinyl records, sticker removal, shrink cleaning, dry cleaning, um, all sorts of uh, different uh, features. We also do soft grading, so that way you don't have to commit to locking up your records in a piece of plastic. So, so that's that's all good stuff. We also venture into NFTs. Um, that's another subject for another podcast upcoming. Um, we're going to try to pump these out um, regularly, and our next episode is going to be about the question, are records made to be played or collected? We're going to be actually touching on some of those topics, I think, uh, today in this podcast, and um, then we'll drill down a little bit further in the next episode. So. Before we yeah. tease too much with that, mm -hmm. I just want to be clear to everyone before we get hate mail and um, the the chat on the bottom starts pinging like crazy. I think we're all in agreement that finals, it's both, right? It's meant to be played and collected. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want anyone to think that we're trying to push anyone one way or the other. Yeah, it's going to be a very neutral topic. <laughs> <laughs> Very new. Sounds, sounds terribly boring to not be arguing about it. We need to we, set up some sort of argument. We can argue. We can argue. Um, so uh, speaking of arguing, what are, what are we drinking tonight, guys? What are we having? I am uh, drinking a fresh Coors Light right now. <laughs> yep. Nice. Which is important that it's cold because it's about a thousand degrees in my this room right now, mostly because I refuse to let my wife turn the air conditioning on. I'm sweating. It's so hot. I uh, uh, Sam Adams Wicked Easy. Nice. That's my go-to drink for the for the summer. End of That's summer. So new, so new England of you, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. W wicked Easy. What about you, Chad? Are you drinking uh, anything? No, mine is very weak. I have a a Gatorade Zero here. That you're mm. <laughs> those are good too. I'm I'm drinking a, a cab. I'm 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 going a uh, old guy That's, cab. Yeah. Uh, with my vinyl records, it's my my tradition. I like to drink Cabernet when listening to uh, vinyl. And um, but do you drink when you play your records? There's been there's some guys with a policy. They they say no drinking when I'm when I'm playing records because they've either had a bad experience dropping something on you know their turntable or <laughs> dropping their needle on their records. You know, do you guys you guys listen and drink, or do you kind of keep the two separate? Oh, I listen and drink for sure. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. My I, I love. Yeah, the cool, cool, cool table yeah. down here, cool. and the kids come down, let's throw records on, and and listen. They obviously don't drink, but <laughs> while they're listening, I actually had for a while. I had set up my turntable, and I had set up uh, in our bookshelf a couple of taps that go through the keg, and I did that right before COVID. Actually, I did it like two years before COVID. Sadly, never bothered to clean out the actual tubes that went from the keg to the taps. And by the time I was drinking it in COVID, I was 
like one drink was making me hallucinate. I'm pretty sure there was rather, you know, various fungi in there. <laughs> and now I'm, I want to refill the tap, but I refuse to take the time to clean it out. So it's just, I actually looked at it the other day. I opened it up. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, <laughs> so I recommend if you come over, try the tap. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. an expensive decoration at this point. Yes, it is an expensive decoration. Uh, I'll bring my own drinks if that's okay. <laughs> you, but, um, okay. Um, so, you know, we've already talked about how we're vinyl record collectors. Um, but something that we are actually talking about is the fact that we all collect for a different reason, right? Um, there are guys who collect only shellac 78s. And there's some guys then who have a subcategory of shellac 78s that are like blues. And then there's even more subcategories, blues from a certain area. Um, so and it, that's that's the case with vinyl collectors all over. We all have that thing that we like to collect. Uh, when it comes to vinyl, it's what t- switches us on. It's what gets us to escape our week um, and and uh, really enjoy what we're collecting. So what is it that you guys collect? Like, w- what is it that makes you want to go on eBay or go to the record stores or go to the auction sites and and, and find a record and and uh, pick it up? Uh, I'll start. The oh, yeah. um you know, I, we, I think all, well, all three of us, not Drew, but Chad, Paul, and I all grew up in uh, the best town in the United States, Western Rhode Island. Uh, by the way, also part-time home to my nearby neighbor, Taylor Swift, who we're going to mention this on every podcast until she comes <laughs> on the podcast. We'll so, get her on the podcast. Episode five. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be episode five. Aggressive. That's aggressive, yeah. but we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I started out, We I was born in 79, Chad was born in 79, Paul in, I don't know, 80-something. 80 82. Yeah, we all started, you know, listening to heavy metal as kids, brunge, and we all obsessed over CDs, collected them all together. I was, you know, in Chad's house basically two or three times a week, every every week since 10th grade. We would play these albums, and frankly... Once I got old enough to have a job, I just wanted every album I ever had as vinyl because it was so cool to me. I'd never seen these albums as vinyl, you know, a lot of the 90s ones. And then I started getting into the nostalgia of wanting all those 80s hair metal bands, which I did have as vinyl. And then when I started getting them, I started being annoyed they weren't in perfect condition. So I had to get other ones. And then I started getting annoyed that the sleeve wasn't in perfect condition. So I had to get other ones. And then I started getting annoyed that is it really perfect condition if it's not sealed? So I had to buy them sealed. So it's a OCD, but you know, it's always been, I mean, I'll admit it. My love of vinyl is, is 80% the collecting of the item and 20% the sound <clears throat> as opposed to the other way around. And uh, I enjoy putting them on the turntable and listening as much for the actual process of doing it as I do for the sound. I just love having the vinyl record. I love having the, the sleeve. I love looking at it. I love the process of putting it on. I love thinking that I'm doing something that is just so nostalgic and cool. Um, and thinking for, you know, a second that I'm actually cool. You are cool. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> so you, you, you collect cards though too, right? So you, you yeah, collect cards, uh, obsessed over. And then yeah, same deal. Like, you know, we grew up in the, what's, you know, the junk wax era of just, uh mass produced baseball cards and uh and then you know when you're a kid you don't have any money so if you can get a pack of 1991 Fleer for 50 cents you spend your 50 cents on it and then you find out in 2001 that those are completely worthless and mass produced but then in you know 10 years later you have a job and you go out and buy you know 1991 Fleer cards and 91 upper deck and 1989 tops and all this stuff that you didn't have the difference being of course that uh you know when you're old and reliving your junk wax nostalgia the beauty is that uh, those things are super cheap whereas when you're old and and trying to buy all the grunge albums um on vinyl they are not cheap at all they're actually super expensive which kind of stinks but yeah and then that that kind of got me into the obsession of you know owning every player i ever wanted and uh, ever liked and, and making sure they were in perfect condition and getting associate the obsession cool and when awesome. you say butch when you were saying you buy a pack and then when you got a job now you could buy cards you always wanted 
You're not. You didn't buy a pack. You bought cases. I bought. I bought. Uh, I actually, I actually bought um, some uh, some guys, uh, a few guys, actual baseball card stores, and stuck them in my basement. And so now my basement is a literal pile of baseball cards. Um, I shouldn't say that in case anybody is dying for 1991. You know, dying to break in to get. <laughs> 70,000 1991 upper deck Scott Erickson, you know, rookies. Um, they might want to break in to get a, a pile of worthless cards. Your wife may actually leave the door unlocked and welcome. <laughs> she, might. Yeah, she might. And we'll it's, you know, and I still, I, I, I'm i not joking. I probably have well, 1991 upper deck Chipper Jones. I probably have a hundred of that card. And if I go to a yard sale and, and see a pile of cards and and I happen to find 1991 Upper Deck Chipper Jones, I still get pumped up. So pumped up. <laughs> it's, so I, this, I know it's a, this is a vinyl podcast, but yeah. we, <laughs> is there anything, the smell of an Upper Deck pack? Nothing better. Smell <laughs> Maybe the smell of like 94 Donruss, but I don't know if you were still like, you know, when, when baseball cards got super glossy, those smelled good too. <laughs> I can smell it right now. The smell of uh, I might just go to bed with it on my pillow. <laughs> and I actually love the smell of a brand new vinyl record too. There you go, bringing it back. <laughs> Bring it back. Especially the go. gatefold. Like you can open up the gatefold, and while it, you hear it cracking, you can smell the the printing on it, and it just smells so good. You're home at that point. All right, so now that we um, have heard from the Scrooge McDuck of <laughs> junk wax up there, mm-hmm. um, what about you, Chad? Uh, what do you collect? So my my collecting is is very opposite of Butch. Butch is really into like he, the, similar in the fact that the pop culture and the stuff we grew up on, but I'm not into the volume. I'm into specific first pressings, early albums of artists that you may recognize that you didn't know were in some other band to me i just i i find that exciting i like researching and looking for you know the first time somebody was on an album like dr dre is my recent obsession that hit the band that he was in in the mid 80s and released a bunch of albums i, I find fascinating that the chronic sells for you know a thousand dollars five hundred dollars depending on the condition and it's his most popular album what made dr dre the the pop culture figure he is but in 84 he he released uh he was part of this band called the the world-class wrecking crew and released a bunch of singles and an album and those you could get for 20 bucks right now uh and i just find that to me that's interesting i mean do i know any of those songs no, but it's um to have it's going back to like Coach talked about his baseball card collecting. I was also a big sports card collector, and the thing that the only thing that I wanted were rookie cards. And it started out same thing. Once I had a little bit of money and a job, I can go back and get all the cards I always wanted and couldn't afford. Then once they were on eBay all the time, it was like they're always there, and it was just a matter of do I want to spend the money or not. I found it a lot more interesting to, instead of paying a ton of money for uh, a baseball card, you know, thousand, ten thousand, whatever it was, uh, I could get a Muhammad Ali rookie card that nobody was looking for, for like two hundred bucks. Um, so then it really started this other weird obsession of looking for the the greatest in a certain sport that was outside of the the major collectible sports. And I could get the biggest name, like people that my my wife knew. They were pop culture figures. Um, and for like pennies on the dollar at the time, and that's actually caught up. Like other people now are collecting you know, boxing cards, wrestling cards, tennis stuff. And the same, the same thing stuck with with vinyl, where I wanted the first time somebody was on a record um, and or a band that they were in before they were popular things off the beaten path i mean it's not only that like i want 10 and i and, and the stuff i grew up on but the the thing that i really enjoy is finding early pressings that one it's it's naturally rare like a lot of times these bands and the albums that they're on is not necessarily that 
great and didn't make it. They didn't have commercial success. So it's it's just naturally limited. So it's hard to find. So in my mind, I couple that with the fact that you have somebody that has millions and millions of fans. And the first time they were on an album wasn't successful. And there may only be a couple hundred or a thousand of those. And either even fewer in good condition. Really yeah, cool. you know, it'd be a great idea is if someone wrote an article, a series of articles about rookie albums and put it on a website like our website. <laughs> actually, there are three. Well, I started that series about six months ago and then uh, installment yeah. number four is, is about four months late, but it's getting there. It, it is. There. Yeah, those articles are very informative. Go to vmgvinyl.com and uh, check out the article section. Yeah. I really like where you're going with that, Chad, because um, we don't really hear much about the rookie cards. Like we hear about, you know, the David Bowie album that Stevie Ray Vaughan played on before he was really famous and um, things like that. You know, we know the um, Harry Belafonte album that has the first appearance of bob dylan you know things like that that are kind of commonly known in in uh vinyl world music world but um we we don't hear very often a collector really just seeking out those those first appearances right uh, so really cool. this one recently which is a sealed men in black rookie uh beyonce rookie no, that's that's, huh? her, that's Beyonce's rookie card. Rookie that's album. cool. That's so, very yeah. cool. Something I, I I definitely want to do. Uh, I would find it interesting. I would listen to it since, and Paul can get into what he collects in a minute. But um, since we all have different interests that we that we want, I think it would be I think it'd be fun to pick a band or an artist, and then we we come to the table with which record we would we would want for our collection. And I bet there would be a lot of situations where we pick an artist and we could come with four different albums for four different reasons. Um, some maybe, you know, we all pick the same one, but I think that'd be an interesting conversation for a future podcast for sure. Yeah. So if anyone has any suggestions on what artists we should be reviewing uh, from our four different perspectives, um, set, set, send it to us, you know, go onto yeah. our website, fill out the, the information form, send us a note, go down in the comment section, wherever you're watching this from, try to contact us and let us know Absolutely. what you would like to see. Yeah. I think, I think that'll okay. be, that'll be, I know I speak, too. I speak for Paul. I don't know about Drew and Chad, but I love, you know, when someone gives me a recommendation for a band, a new band, something to listen to love it. So we would, yeah. even if you think we've never heard of them, we'll dive in. Yep, absolutely. Paul, why do you collect? What do you look for? So my my collecting is a little bit different than Chad and which is I'm not like a super high-end collector. I collect mostly just stuff that I like. So I first got into records you know, about 20 years ago when we, Chad and Butch and I and a group of other friends actually were on an email chain that we would constantly email back and forth. This is way before texting. And people were doing their top 500 song countdowns. And that's what we each did, like our own top 500. And from there, I started looking at, at records for some of the songs that I liked, which was mostly 90s stuff, grunge era stuff, a lot of classic rock, some blues, uh, mostly rock in general. But there was one record called uh, Deep Six. It was a, a record that was kind of the start of the grunge era. That was the first Soundgarden songs around there, a couple other uh grunge kind of icon started on deep six and that started my obsession with vinyl was trying to find that record on vinyl and it was before discogs it was early ebay where not tons and tons of vinyl were on ebay and i actually tracked the record down by getting in contact with the owner of cz records at the time sent him an email asked him if he had any deep six records and he had a couple sealed ones i sent him a money order through the mail for for two <laughs> deep six records and he sent me two of them, and they're in really mint sealed condition. It's one of the three or four sealed records that I have in my collection that I just never opened. So I'm a, I'm an open collector. I don't collect any really anything sealed. Um, I have a few, very few sealed records because I I listen to stuff, but I also I like seeing the record. So even if I don't listen to it, I still like seeing the vinyl, opening it, you know, looking at it, and then putting it back on the shelf, basically for a lot of the records. 
Um, uh, so mostly, mostly classic rock, mostly grunge. Uh, I have my parents' record collection, which was all classic rock, tons of Black Sabbath, Doors, The Who, Beatles, stuff like that. Um, some first editions, some reissues, combination of stuff. Uh, for my own personal collection, I look for mostly first, you know, early editions or, or first pressings. The new thing that I've been getting into is kind of pop culture records. I've been buying a lot of 80s soundtracks from just 80s movies I like. So what I've been doing is The Goonies, for example, one of my favorite movies growing up. I bought some select division video disc I've been buying of 80s movies, which is, I don't know if people have really heard of select division. It's kind of the Betamax of laser discs is how I kind of explain it. And they're super cheap. I buy the select division and then the first pressing of the soundtrack. So that's the, my new weird collection, workless, but just something I, I like looking for. Um, so I've been, that's kind of my new obsession right now. That's awesome. What, but that's what keeps you going, right? You know, yeah. it's what, really you awesome. what you didn't tell Drew was you sold me one of the Deep Six albums that you bought, probably got it for 20 bucks, sold it to me for 100 bucks. Yeah. And, and it was for Secret Santa for Butch, and it's behind, behind him up there. It's right here on the wall. Yeah. yeah. I was just ask, was that one of the ones that you bought from? Uh, yeah. It, it was. Yeah. yeah. That's great from, uh, uh, actually, not gifted to me by Chad, but actually gifted to me by uh, Paul and Chad's 100 year old grandfather. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that record came right from Daniel House, who was the bass player in for Skin Yard. So he plays on the record. So it's no from, his, from his warehouse. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong that you first learned about that album. Um, when you took uh, your bachelor party to the hub of bachelor <laughs> parties, which I mean, people, some people go to Las Vegas, some people go to Cancun, some people go to Miami. Chad's back, uh, Paul's bachelor party, which was 10 dudes, went to Cleveland, Ohio actually, <laughs> for your bachelor party to go to and museums. Yeah, that album was up on the wall. They were. They had a. Uh, they had a grunge uh, Seattle uh, thing yep. going on. Like there. Special, and that's uh, the first time I ever saw. I didn't even know that album existed until we were yep. there. Yeah. So there's only two thousand pressings of it. One's in the Hall of Fame, and we have two other ones. Yeah. So. And we were in. Uh, yeah, we, we were in Cleveland. We were in Cleveland for Memorial Day weekend. I don't remember the year, but we were walking the streets, and I'm not kidding. We were the only people. And Memorial Day weekend in the entire city of Cleveland. Anywhere. There was nobody there. Everyone no else offense, had a chance to get no out. No offense to any of our listeners in Cleveland. In Cleveland. <laughs> just yeah, Cleveland. you don't think of Cleveland as being the hot spot for a bachelor party. But... No, we lost Cle- we just lost Cleveland, Sarah. So. <laughs> we had a blast. We had a blast in Cleveland. Cleveland's yeah, good it was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, football Hall of Fame. You did forgot to wear a shirt. I knew, I, I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> went to, was, imagine going to the Hall of Fame. Took his, went to take his jacket off and realized he forgot to wear a shirt. So he had to, was, despite Cleveland not being the most exciting place on earth, I was terribly, terribly hungover, and I had like a zip up on that I just threw on to grab like coffee and like a continental breakfast. Then we just left, and I forgot to put a shirt on. What are you going to do? It happens, right? Happens. You know. Uh, so I collect. Um, I'm I'm a, a big time listener, but I'm an audiophile through and through. Um, you know, I just always have honed my ears to wanting to hear the most amount of detail, um, the most amount of dynamics. Um, I really want, like, you know, to listen to an album and have that kick drum, like, literally kick me in the gut. You know, that, that feeling is the same kind of feeling that you get at a concert. And that's what I'm going for. Um, I had my sound system, my hi-fi system, uh, custom made for me. It's all tube. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it just super transparent, um, super basic. Like I, I want, uh, I'm a minimalist, you know, I want the, the least amount of things in the signal chain. And um, that way I can, you know, just really hear the music. So uh, for me, the pressings matter. So when I'm buying records, I, you know, like to buy multiples of the same record, but not the same pressing. I want to hear different pressings and audition them uh, to be able to find the best sounding one. And um, that's that's something that just you know when I when I get that album that is just super compressed and 
um, super thin. And then I can listen to the same album uh, and, and have it be just completely opened up. And it just, it's, there's a, a feeling that is unmatched. Um, you know, it's definitely an adrenaline rush. Um, you know, my latest, my latest pickup, um, right here is the UHQR copy of, um, John Coltrane, um, Love Supreme. And I mean, this thing, it has like, it's gold leaf. It has a wooden dowel here for the spine, um, you know, it's, 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 it's numbered, um, it's limited, um, and it, you know, it's expensive, but what you get for that price is audio quality that you just can't ever compare to. So, um, so th- those are the things that I like to listen to. So I, I, I follow a lot of the, uh, labels that are the audiophile labels, um, I know there's been a lot of controversy over the mobile fidelity stuff, um, but I, I I like listening to mobile fidelity. Certain ones, some I'm not crazy about. Um, I did pick up um, a large part of the Weezer discography on mobile fidelity, and I have um, the guy who sold it to me was like, "Yeah, Pinkerton for some reason um, the hand number must have." You know, they forgot to put it on. But then, you know, I contacted the guys at MoFi, and they said that. It's actually a promo copy. So I thought it was kind of cool to have a promo copy of, you know, a MoFi record for Weezer Pinkerton. Um, you know, so, but I'm just like the the three of you all. I'm into the 90s alternative grunge, late 80s, early 90s. Um, I love that stuff. And unfortunately, you are right. It is very expensive to, to pick up. Um, but surprisingly, you would not think of grunge music as being music that sounds good. But man, you put Nirvana Nevermind on my system, and if it's the right pressing, it'll blow your mind. I mean, the way that they they designed and engineered that kick drum microphone setup is just phenomenal. And there's all kinds of stories about that. Like they put this big tube in front of the bass drum, and and they did all kinds of crazy things. Um, I actually uh, interviewed Steve Albini um, a couple years back on the in, Nirvana in Utero album because that's another one. Um, that is just amazing. And he did some work for the Pixies. Um, he did work for Slint. Um, and, you know, so I was really honed in, focused on that Slint Tweeze album. That thing just sounds phenomenal. Um, so really good sounding music came out of the 90s. Um, and what's surprising is that a lot of these people were recording on digital tape. Um, they weren't all analog. Um, so that's another discussion for another podcast, the whole digital analog thing for me, but, and for many of the listeners, but um, you know, there's, I'm just chasing what sounds really, really good. So, um, so I, what's neat about this conversation is that we're seeing four different perspectives as to why we collect. And we know there are uh, many more, many more reasons why people collect vinyl. We would love to hear why you collect vinyl, what gets you moving, what gets you going, what what you look for in your vinyl collection um but you know we, we all have that mission that we're on uh so what we're doing here as a company is we're trying to take that vinyl record collecting world that we're in and elevate it to a new level you know just like we talked about with you trading cards, right? Um, just like we, you know, have seen with comic books and coins and um, video games, VHS tapes, um, you know, everybody's doing it, you know, so we're doing this for vinyl records and really adding a new layer to this category uh, of collecting. Um, but there's through this, this part of the journey here, um, you know, it's, I'd say it's, you know, I've been doing vinyl record grading professionally um, as a business since like, you know, 2017, 2018. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is a popular thing that you all have heard when you first started out as well um, before we merged. But, um, you know, people are saying that vinyl records, um, you know, are, you know, mint condition. But then when we get them, they have a, saw cut in it or they have third-party stickers all over it or 
Um, you know, there's issues with the shrink. You know, I, I love g- going on Discogs and saying, you know, it's 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 near mint, near mint, sealed. And then you get it, and like the shrink is sealed. Like you, they've never really pulled the vinyl out of the uh, the the sleeve, but there's like a strannule of shrink wrap covering, you know, the the opening where the record goes, and then you know the rest of it's just garbage, you know. Um, so people are some people are kind of wondering, like, you know, why does a sticker affect the grade? Why does a hole punch? affect the grade that's been like some of our most common feedback um so we wanted to kind of just dive into that a little bit demystify things like stickers hole cuts um you know just overall condition grading so we can kind of go into this and share our perspective on those different um, categories of grading and then um you know see what you think in the comments in reply to this podcast so Let's jump into stickers. We all live love our hype stickers, right? So um, hype stickers are cool. A lot of times it helps us do our job because one hype sticker can identify a, a period in time that that record was pressed in. Uh, so it really helps us with identifying and authenticating uh, the submission. But um, we're specifically talking about third-party stickers so what do we mean by third-party stickers i'm going to you know just ask you guys you know what what do we mean by this yeah it's mostly price tags that is what i see uh, for third party and sometimes it's a like a little sticker gun price tag that literally all it is is a price tag mm-hmm. those aren't really cool uh there are some cool third-party stickers from like a department store that was maybe in your town that closed 50 years ago it has that logo on it. It's it's cool, but it's not original to the album, and that's why it it affects the grade in our opinion. Um, especially if it's dirty, it's wrinkled, it's ripped, uh, things like that. It, it may be cool and nostalgic, but it's not original to to the album, and it's different on that album in different parts of the country. It's not going to have that same sticker like it would a hype sticker. It doesn't mean it automatically makes the grade poor. It's just one of the factors that we factor in when we grade shrink. Yeah, because you, you have like yard sale stickers, you know, you have library stickers or um, radio station stickers I've seen uh, to yeah, catalog the record. Sticker, you always see that that circle price saver sticker. Yeah, yeah. Super common one. And it's, a lot common. of it is, you know, I think, and, it, and I, I could speak for Chad too, because we've talked about this, but when we first started getting into like grading of cards and comic books and stuff like that, we, um, you know, it was always kind of annoying to us that, you know, here I, I got this card out of a pack. Like I didn't make it off centered and I, I didn't bend the corner, but still it was off centered and the corner was bent. So when I would send it to PSA or whatever, it didn't get a 10. And, and the grades are not necessarily really a, a reflection on you as the owner. It really is a reflection on what a buyer would want. And a 10 has to be perfect. And so, um, by no means is a buy is is the original consumer of the album at fault because an album has a price tag on it. But at the same time, you know, an album with a with a an ugly price tag on it, an album without a price tag on it, which one is actually better? Which one is more valuable? Which one is in better condition? Which one is prettier? Which one is more likely to universally be wanted by everybody? So you have to consider that, you know, if a if a perfect album with an ugly sticker on it is a 10 well then what is a perfect album without that sticker on it you know it can't the first one can't be a 10 and i think you know once you kind of get past the idea that a grade is a is a reflection on you as the submitter or as the owner of the album um it's not it's just it's it's an objective measure of what the album is and how perfect is it compared to absolutely perfect you know absolutely perfect is 10 um and and a lot of that, you know, if you see, if you go on eBay, uh, and I use eBay instead of Discogs because you can see the pictures of the albums. Yeah. Um, and for high, you know, sealed, high-priced albums, um, albums with with you know lots of stickers on them go for less. And albums with, and we're going to get to saw cuts and and corner cuts and hole punches, they go for significantly less. So the, I mean, and when so I, that was well said, Butch. And it's not that 
is not necessarily that we're trying to say what's what you should collect or what you should want really to just have an objective grade of the album and then the consumer pick what they want so i personally am not a fan of third-party stickers and drew we we went back and forth on this a little bit you you and i get it i understand the charm of it all and even if it's a great looking sticker i would prefer to own an album without a sticker and maybe uh, a slightly round more round corner or something like that so we don't want to confuse the marketplace and have uh label something a 10 and then you buy it and there's um a sticker on it because there are some people that don't want a sticker it's really to just reflect the condition of the album and that's that's it and then the market and or the buyers and the sellers you guys figure out what you want and what you want to buy. And if you want uh, something without a sticker, uh, then you, you know, you're, you're looking for a 10 or something. And if you like stickers, because I, I, I get it. And, and I, they do look cool. And there are some, but like our local, you know, if there was a Fisher big wheel stamp, um, a local department store that went out of business probably 30 years ago, um, which Butch has a strange obsession over, but right. I would pay up for, right. I would pay up for a Looney Tunes sticker. Yeah. On Looney Tunes being a, a Westerly old, an old yeah. Westerly uh, record store. Record you know, there's another thing. Um, and it's important when it comes to grading and it's, and it's important when it comes to integrity. And it seems like such a weird thing to say, but it's real. If you think about it, if, if a third party sticker doesn't impact the album then why wouldn't you just be able to stick any sticker you wanted on the album and send it in suppose the album had a big scuff on it well then you could improve the grade just by sticking a sticker on it and sending it in the um if if kmart puts a sticker on it and it doesn't impact the album then why would you putting a sticker on it not impact the album the album is affected either way and so you know, to to understand that having a sticker that wasn't supposed to be on the album, if you were to say, well, that doesn't impact the grade, well, then anybody could stick a sticker on an album. And you and, could just stick a price tag on an album yeah. and, 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 and say, oh, I didn't impact the grade. But you can't stick we, a price tag on a comic book and you can't stick a price tag on a baseball card. You can't stick it and send it in and expect it's going to get a grade. PSA grades uh, baseball card packs. And you can send in a pack with a, a sticker on it, but they won't give it more than a seven. You know, it, it's just they won't. And yeah, we're not even saying we're not saying that collecting things with stickers are or, or something no, with a sticker on it or, or less collectible. We get the charm. Yeah, yeah. Some people like collecting price tags. They like seeing yeah. how much oh, something costs. And, and you know, yeah. what? as someone who would love a Looney Tunes or, or Big Wheel price tag, the fact that it would get a lower grade and I'd be able to buy it probably for cheaper. <laughs> We'd probably yeah. excite me. Actually. I'll be bidding each other up if there's, <laughs> if there's ever a Looney Tunes uh, album with a Looney Tunes sticker. But that, a Looney Tunes sticker though, which we would, I actually really want that now. Uh, <laughs> but Drew would have no interest in that at uh, a yeah. Westerly yeah. record store. So right. part of the reason is it's also really to make, I don't want to say our job easier, it's to be repeatable. Like we have to have specific criteria that we could that is black and white oh, and yep. not in my opinion the sticker looks awesome i'm going to give this a 10 which may hate the sticker and say it's an it's an eight or seven or six it's too gray it, I mean, there's infinite different possibilities of what a sticker would look like so we made the decision to say third-party stickers so people and over time it would become second nature similar to all the other grading categories of cards and things like that we understand what's what um that we said third-party stickers are an imperfection to the overall album it's not a 10 so subgrade of the shrink it's gonna you know the highest the shrink could get on that piece is a seven um but if everything else on the shrink is pristine maybe it's a seven and a half or something like that but it is going to pull it down a bit here's an example i got this at goodwill and um purple rain uh early pressing um but it has this like partial uh you can't really see it but a partial price tag 
um, there on the corner. And then it has this sticker here that must have been like a price identifier or something. And then we have the really cool hype. Has the, yeah, the, the poster. Hype. It's in gorgeous condition. Has the inner sleeve. Gorgeous condition. Vinyl's in great condition. Still in the original shrink and has the hype sticker. But, I mean... It, even if this had like, so you all were talking about Looney Tunes or whatever, but our local, our local store was Camelot or Waxy Maxi. And I would go in, I would, I would love to have a record with one of those stickers on it. But in this particular case, I probably wouldn't want any of those stickers on it because with this iconic artwork, I don't want anything taking away from the visual eye appeal of the, the front cover. Um, So I'm going to have these stickers removed. Sometimes the placement of price stickers are terrible, like right over yeah. the face of, of yeah. I was just going to say that you know, over title, you know, it's it, over uh, word. Yeah, and, and and that does get into grading, and and you know we've mentioned this on our our rubric that um, there is a little bit of um, you know eye appeal to it, and and if someone takes that you know purple rain hype sticker and sticks it right over Prince on his motorcycle. That kind of stinks. I mean, people aren't going to want that. That that can't. That really can't be it. That would impact the grade. You know, you'd have a hard time being a ten if someone had stuck the hype sticker right over Prince and you can't even see him. You know, it would be tough. In Where fact, would you not want the hype sticker on? Never mind, Butch. Uh, <laughs> we, cut we, have to cut, we have to cut that out. <laughs> Well, I've actually seen a copy of Nevermind with a, a, a um, you know, Super Saver sticker over the, the baby's face. Yeah, you know, and it just completely, that. completely killed the front cover yeah, of that record. Right. Um, and that, you know, that client didn't want the sticker removal. But, um, you know, it, and, and that's a good demonstration as to why the hype stickers are okay. First of all, it's what the artist or the label wanted for the release. And if you look at any of these Prince releases, the hype sticker is going to be about in this location yeah. every time. Right. You know, that's where they wanted that hype sticker. Um, and it's not going, it's actually going to add to the front cover right. rather than take away. You know, you can notice that in the Led Zeppelin 2. Yeah. Um, they always put the, they always put that whole lot of love. Our, um hype sticker all the way to the left in that empty brown area. Right. Uh yeah. so so yeah, so you, I could, mean, you could yeah. imagine that just like with baseball cards, you know, putting uh or comic books, putting these things together, uh, event, you know, ultimately they are approved and and done by machines and humans and you could imagine that someone somewhere has gotten a, you know, Prince album with a hype sticker is in a terrible spot. Um, just like, you know, you might've gotten a Cal Ripken rookie where it was just cut terribly. And, you know, it just kind of stinks that that would be the case that you would, you would get that. I mean, I think we just had an album. I think it was legend by, with Bob Marley, where the sticker was stuck right on his face. And I was like, Oh God, I mean, that's, I love that album. And, um, but someone had sent it in with the sticker was in a terrible spot and, uh, it kind of was too bad. So, so with stickers, we we've covered how you know we look at stickers third party stickers um predominantly uh how does this relate to saw cuts uh corner cuts and hole punches so if you don't want to know what i'm talking about here's an album with a corner cut you probably have seen the saw cut slice in you know in the sleeve cds also have had that um and then sometimes you'll see like a punch hole you know or a drill hole through the one of the corners, yeah. um, you know. So, you, there's arguments out there for for both sides of the of the story, but you know, how do we feel about the saw cut, hole punch, and corner cut uh, conundrum? Yeah, so that's kind of a whole different animal than than price stickers because this that's actually damage, and it, everyone can say you know, that, but it's factory. It's factory done damage, so it shouldn't affect the grade. But damage is damage. If you get an off-centered card, it's off-centered from the factory, but it still affects the grade. So the thing with a saw cut in a in a punch record is that in addition to those cut and punch records, there's also records that don't have punches and cuts in them. So if you have one of those pristine ones before it was sent back to the factory for for overstock, then that has to be a higher grade than the one with no corner. You know, so that's where we we went back and forth on this a lot too, because there are some in some instances there's promos that are cut, or um, you know the ones albums that are sent just for radio play things like that. 
but it's still it's still damage to the record. So we have kind of a hard line on that. Go yeah. ahead. I I totally agree, Paul. And, and, and to me, it's very distracting and takes away from the album. Like I personally just wouldn't, unless it was something really really rare. And the only one I found was saw cut or corner cut or punched. I, I just I wouldn't want it for my collection. One of the things that I think is a it's a big myth. Um, I mean, part of it, it, there is some truth to it, but the overall idea that saw cut or corner cuts or punches are promos and all of them are promos, I, I think is, you know, a common misconception. I think the majority of saw cuts and things like that are actually, like Paul said, overstock. Something didn't get sold at the department store, gets sent back um, to the factory, and then they do something to to it to to um signify. yeah it's intentional damage is what it is i mean the whole purpose of the straw cut and the whole cut and the corner punch i mean in the corner cut is intentionally damaging the album so it can't be resold or returned so what, what essentially is happening for people who don't know is um an album will be released on its release date and it'll go to kmart maybe and kmart will try to sell it but when kmart doesn't sell it they send it back to the factory and then the factory will want to get rid of it, but they don't want to throw it away. So this album that was originally sell- selling for $12, what they'll do is they'll send it back uh, to Kmart and say, all right, you can sell this for $5 now. But if it doesn't sell, you can't send it back to us. Um, this is now yours. If you want to sell it cheap, you can, but you can't send it back to us for a refund if you don't sell it. And the way they do that is they intentionally damage the album. They damage the cover so that they know that that's a restock. It can't be sent back. And the same reason was being done for the promos. They were yeah. sending albums to radio stations and didn't want the radio stations to turn around and sell the album. So they would cut the corner. So you can't sell this album. This is a damaged album here. So these are intentional. Um, and they're not die cuts. So a die cut would be an album that's not a square. You know, maybe it's it's there's special albums where the uh, the the cover is not a square that is made by the factory. LA Woman, yeah, shape. yeah, LA Woman, that's a good one. Um, they're that's made in that shape. The corner cut, you know, Ace Freely solo album is corner cut to intentionally damage it, and mm-hmm. so and and the market reflects that. If you go on eBay, uh, you'll notice that corner cut and saw cut and and hole punched are significantly cheaper, and I've accidentally just in my up you know i see a a cinderella night songs album and i'm all pumped up about it and i just did this and i ordered it i didn't really look at the pictures it comes in it's got a saw cut on it i don't know i mean like i don't even want it it's just (laughs) it it annoys me so much i just got a punched album um i was talking to you guys before but i bought an album called the innocent from 1985 that's the name of the, the band Trent Reznor plays keyboards on it before Nine Inch Nails. So I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. And I bought it and it has a huge, not even like a little hole punch. It's like a half, three quarter of an inch hole punch right in the corner. I didn't see a picture of it when I bought it, which it, I, I don't really care for me. I just want, I thought it was cool, but clearly uh, synth pop Trent Reznor was not selling well in 1985. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a record store in um, Harrisonburg, Virginia that I go to and they had a Eddie Hazel sealed um, record, beautiful condition. Like the corners were sweet. Uh, the shrink was in glossy shape and, but it had a saw cut. And, um, you know, I know that there are some out there that don't have the saw cut. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold up. I'm going to wait, um, wait until I get one yeah. that's truly sealed and complete. Uh, and that's really what we're we're saying is that, look, if you, if you're looking for, that highest grade in a record if you if it has stickers on it in most cases we can remove them so that's not a really big deal especially if they're on the shrink but if you're going for um you know super high grades stay keep patient stay on on the path look for something without the whole cut a whole punch or the saw cut or whatever and um you will find one you'll probably have to pay more but it's going to be worth so much more um, getting that one in the future. So, um, so definitely, you know, keep that in mind. Right. And if you, like we were talking about before, and if you're an audiophile and that's the reason you're collecting yeah. vinyl, well, who cares? I mean, my favorite, the album that is on my turntable the most, 
uh, has a saw car. It's a it's White Lion Pride, and it never comes. I play it constantly, and it's got a saw cut, but I don't care. I also bought it without a saw cut just so I could have it. But the one I always yeah. play because the vinyl is great. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. It, good blue stuff. That saw cut. I just bought T Bone Walker's very rare, which is mm. has a version of of Stormy Monday that I really like on there, and it's a first pressing. And it sounds awesome, but it does has a corner cut. But who cares? Yeah, yeah if you're gonna be playing it, it, it in AAGS, I coined a phrase: uh, you you always buy two copies. Like you buy one to grab, one to slab. And you know, so I I buy everything in duplicates. I buy one that I'm gonna be throwing on my table. That vinyl has to be perfect. The vinyl has to be the best sounding pressing that I can find and then also be in the best condition possible. And then, um, and then I have, it, but it, it could have issues with the sleeve. I don't care about that, but then I'm going to have another one on the shelf that is, is in good a shape as possible. Kind of like what Butch was going for you. You always upgrade that copy until you get the absolute best. Um, that's the one that you slab. We're having a podcast about music, and I'm probably the first music podcaster to ever mention White Lion in good uh, <laughs> in a good light. But hey. didn't bother right me out. one bit. Right out. We have, Drew, we have you, a soft spot for hair band music. No, in this. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right. Drew, you mentioned earlier uh, in utero. So the thing I'm into is like rarity, first pressings, or um, in utero was limited edition. Uh, clear vinyl mm-hmm. uh, it, when it first came out um as an audiophile do you is there i know i've read like the different color wax and stuff is lesser quality do you what are your thoughts on that um yes and no so picture discs are an absolute no-no um but when it comes to colored vinyl um it's kind <laughs> of a mixed bag and the quick answer is that the more pressing plants that are pressing them, um, modern ones are, they're getting better at it. Um, you're going to have the most noise when you're mixing colors, like the color swirls, like the marble colors, or especially the ones that it's like green and then a hard line and then white and then a hard line and then red, you know, the, the, the transition between those pieces of vinyl that they had to put in that press, um, it has a seam, so to speak, you know, and so you'll get a little bit more surface noise on those. But re- I've had black ones um, sound noisier and I've had black ones down completely quiet. And what I found is that it's more about the the material than than it is the color of the vinyl. So, like, for example, this John Coltrane, it is on this like clear like a clear color and this is what they feel at audio um, analog productions is the cleanest purest you know type of vinyl that you could press on if you go to a mobile fidelity one step it's going to be semi-transparent but still have like a dark color to it and it's a special um vinyl mixture from i can't remember the code for it but it's like from japan and uh jvc i think invented it back in the 80s and um, it sounds really good, too. So you're going to get very little surface noise on those, like hardly any crackles and pops, unless it's defective. Um, that was the long story. Short story is you put it on the turntable, and if it sounds good, it's good. That's that's my that's my theory, though. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't usually delve into the, you know, deep science behind, you know, different things. And, um, and then, yeah, it it, it can go down a rabbit hole very quickly, but if it sounds really good, you know, you're, you're good. All right. Good discussion guys. Um, I think that that is our time. Um, So just to summarize, um, you know, collect what you love and if you love it enough, protect it, you know, buy one to grab, buy one to slab have it slabbed and when the one that you do slab make sure that it's you know in good of condition as you possibly can find and that might take time uh to to really seek out that one copy uh so keep on with your journey um keep on um spinning the good stuff and and what about you guys on the way out here what albums have you picked up recently uh just just briefly uh go ahead butch uh, my most recent one is uh, this Andrew Dice Clay 
Nice. I don't know why I just, uh, for some reason, I, someone actually sent VMG um, some comedian albums, uh, Dave Chappelle and, 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 and some other ones. And I, I was so taken with the idea of having, uh, you know, I remember growing up with the Adam Sandler album, which is on my want list, uh, you know, to get that. But, and then I thought it would be cool to get, you know, the first pressing of 1989's Andrew Dice Clay album. So cool. Good pick. And that, that looks really glossy too. Yeah, it's uh, it's sealed because I'm awesome. obs- obsessed with if I ever crack it open, making sure it's in perfect condition to listen to it. But. Awesome. How about you, Chad? I was actually just looking at my my eBay purchases here to re- remember what my last one was. Uh, last one I bought was Pearl Jam Last Kiss Seven Inch, um, that was sealed, which I've never seen sealed before. Um, cool. So, and it was the last one I created uh, a want list, really no rhyme or reason, uh, 91 through 2000, like when I really loved Pearl Jam. And I remember going to the the CD stores to buy the singles because they had like the B-sides that you could only get on the on the imports. At the time, it was like spending a small fortune on, on the import to get Yellow Ledbetter and the other... Um, the b-sides um they had the same artwork which i thought was awesome so i wanted to get all the seven inch and the last one was last kiss which was individually numbered and it was um it's not hard to find you can get it any time but it's first time i saw it sealed so cool. i'm excited to get that very cool what about you paul so mine not quite as special but last album that i bought was the goonies soundtrack and also Good soundtrack the Goonies Select Division for uh, <laughs> nice. for show. Um, so I bought the Goonies soundtrack. A little bit of a story because my favorite song from the soundtrack is actually the the song in the opening credits, the Fratelli Chase. You know when when Chunk smashes the the drink on the glass and that the piano intro that's playing. And the Fratelli Chase is not on the soundtrack. It wasn't released. <laughs> on vinyl. <laughs> yep, and it wasn't Which released band? on vinyl until two years later on this album called cinematic magic or something like that. So now I have to buy that. It's like a $2 record that I, I need to order. So it's my, nice. my next purchase. Hey, but for all the Goonie fans out there, that's some good research. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last, it, this came in yesterday. I had it on pre-order for a while. It is the 30th anniversary of the breeders. Um, and um, this one, oh, my lighting is really messing it up, okay. but this one's um, been re. Uh, remastered from the original analog half-inch tape. It's cut half-speed at Abbey Road. Some guys don't like Abbey Road because they do go to digital for their um, half-speed cuts, but um, I'm really interested. This is supposed to be like the best-sounding version of this Breeders album, so I'm really looking forward to that, to listening to that. Um, so, so yeah. um, as a uh, as a, a Breeders novice, um, is the only Breeders song I know on that? Which is yeah. Cannonball? Cannonball? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's why you bought that one. That's that's why yeah. I like went on the Columbia House and got that CD is because yeah, okay. I like that one. I love song. Cannonball. They're, 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 on they're on tour right now. I think the Breeders. Okay. I just yeah. Saw that yeah. They're, yeah, they're getting back for, together. Yeah. They're like opening for somebody. I just saw it recently. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Well, hey guys, appreciate all the time. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we're out of it. Thank you for tuning into our podcast, Vintage Media Grading, the podcast. Um, keep checking back. We're going to have future episodes, as we mentioned before. Um, the music that you're listening to right now is provided by Jacob Harwood of Element 88. Really cool up and coming band up in uh, Rhode Island. Um, and we're So thank you to Element 88 for participating and, and contributing in this way. And um, we want feedback. You know, let us know if there's some a topic that you want to hear us talk about, um, an album that you want us to review. And um, we look forward to seeing you all next time. Visit us at vmgvinyl.com and uh, reach out to us if you have any questions about our grading services or vinyl record services, or if you just want to talk vinyl records, we are always available. And um, appreciate it. So signing off. Bye.